Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you open to Luke, we're right in the middle of a series where we're just taking a number of different passages from Luke. Uh, last week, very, very powerful was Pastor Tim, our lead pastor, um, as he kind of went through, you know, what a lot of people call the Lord's Prayer, but what we understand is more the disciples' prayer or the model prayer of how we're supposed to pray. And just a very, very cool teaching about what prayer is in our life, what our motivation for prayer is. And so I want to be in chapter 19, and I want to talk about uh, something as we see in this, in this kind of in this narrative of what happens. Um, but let's, I want to preface some things and talk about um, uh, as human beings. As human beings, we don't like to be rejected, right? I mean, if I go open a rejection store down the road, nobody's going to come in. Nobody's going to, you know, but hey, I mean, you come in, you ask me whatever you want, and I'll say no. And that's how I'm going to, no, no, nobody wants that. There's that uh, we, you know, a lot of us would say that, that who we are has been molded by some of the rejections that we've experienced in our life. Um, you know, I, 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 I never forget this and I, I've probably told the story before, but I started here at the cross as the youth pastor. And, uh, and I remember when I was counseling, it was right after one of our Wednesday night services and I'm talking with this kid, we'd had kind of this altar time. And he's just really struggling with what he needed to change in his life. And one of the things that he says to me is, I need to break up with my girlfriend. He just, you know, and I, now I did not manipulate that situation. I wasn't like, you know, praying and going, dear Lord God, I just hope you can make this, this student see that he has to break up with his girlfriend. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. I'm letting, I'm letting the Holy Spirit, you know, lead to the changes that this guy needs to make. If he's changing for Mike, he's not changing for any good. Right, if he's changing to it the, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, then we can see long term. So, and he's excited, you know, he's like, I mean, well, not excited. He's, he's very motivated to make all these different changes he was going to make in his life. And, uh, and so, and I go away from the night. I'm like, man, that's awesome. I mean, this is a powerful time at the altar. This is, you know, God's doing awesome stuff. I show up for the next Wednesday, next service. He comes in, mopey and head down and not. And I was like, and I called his name. I was like, come here. What is going on? I said, did it not go well? Do you, you know, I mean, did, did you do it? Don't tell me you didn't do it. You were so, he was like, I didn't do it. You, she broke up with me first. And then he said, he's all, <laughs> now he's depressed. He's mad because she did what he was already going to do. There's a big difference when we swing the ax than when somebody else swings the ax. I remember I just looked at him and I'm like, this was the goal. This is what we were trying to have happen. But he was devastated because that rejection had hurt him. You know, the mind of a teenager is outstanding. But, but we, don't, we don't like being rejected. You know, I think, I think we protect ourselves from rejection. And, and kind of think of this, two, two main re- ways, the primary ways that we as humans protect ourselves from being uh, rejected is this. Number one, we get very, very busy about doing the stuff we need to do so that people won't reject us. I'm going to work so hard and make so many people happy, they won't have a reason to reject me. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just make sure. I will, I will meet every need that I can. I will be whatever I have to be for whoever. But because the sting of that rejection that we've experienced in our life is so real, we want to protect ourselves from it, so I'm going to get very busy. Or we take the exact opposite extreme and we callous ourselves to the place. We plant our flag in the rock of self-resilience and we say, I don't care if you accept me or not. I don't need it. 
I'm all I need. I'm happy with myself. I accept myself, and everybody else can just go deal. Now, we move into a story here in Luke 19 that I think is, is interesting. Jesus has been moving through, and he's going through Jericho. And it says, this is the story of Zacchaeus, right? So Zacchaeus, the word tells us here, the beginning of 19, it says that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Okay, well, this is, this is interesting. We need to understand this. Ta- tax collector doesn't mean that Zacchaeus works for the IRS. Okay, it was not a legitimate profession. Tax collectors were actually hated. Tax collectors were Jews that took advantage of other Jews in the, like, there was no set salary for a tax collector. The tax collector had to, had, he did have to go out and go figure, this is blow your mind, he had to collect the taxes. <laughs> but then he would also collect more than what was required, and that was what his payment was. And there was no recourse. There was no, you know, if, if you know, Zacchaeus could show up to someone's house and be like, okay, they owe 20 pieces of silver, and he could walk in and say, I'm here to collect taxes, that'll be 40 pieces of silver. And they had to pay it. That's why these guys were hated. They were, I mean, it reminds me, honestly, it reminds me almost of organized crime. I mean, that, so not only is he a tax collector, but Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. Not only is he taking his cut, but he's getting a cut from everybody else's cut. And it says right here at the beginning, it says he was a, he was a wealthy man. That this, this life that he had chosen, even though it was, he was hated among society, tax collectors were not allowed to be a part of the corporate worship in the temple. They were shunned. That's how much they were hated. So it's interesting to me that, that, that Zacchaeus, who, who's experienced, you know, I guess he's, he's a criminal, but he's a successful criminal. I mean, he chose this life. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he was forced. It seems like, you know, this is what he kind of decided to be and do. He was extremely successful with it. He had all the money that, that, that he needed, extremely wealthy. And still he has this desire to go and see Jesus. Something spurs him on to go and see who this man is. Chief tax collector, um, very, very wealthy. The word also tells us something else. It tells us that he was small in stature. So he's trying to see Jesus, and he's he's, he's a tiny little guy. And uh, so he runs, and he he climbs up in a sycamore tree. I I mean, it's interesting that the word tells us that he was a a small little man. Small in stature. That's exactly what the word says. says. For he was small in stature. Like at the annual... Tax collector golf tournament, when they took your team picture, Zacchaeus' team might look a lot like this, this team right here. So if you look, if you look right here, you see, you see Steve, our executive pastor, he represents Zacchaeus. I remember when we were there for that one, and, you know, the lady's like, Let's, can we take your picture? And Steve's like, do you need me to stand to the side? And she's like, no, we can see everybody with you right there, right there, right there in the front. I mean, the parallels are really funny because he's our executive pastor. He counts the money. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. I mean, I can, we could go all day just kind of talking about, about this. But, um, but no, okay, that, I'm just I'm making fun of Steve. I love Steve. You know, Steve and I have worked here for a very, very long time at the cross, and, and uh, you know, we've developed a friendship. And I, I, I look up to, well, I don't look up to him. 
Uh, figuratively, I look up to Steve, and uh, he is. He's an awesome brother. I love him. That's why we can pick on him, and that's how we roll around here, because we love each other. All right? So, but this also tells me, I mean, we know the stereotype of short man's disease, right? Why they all have to have the biggest pickup trucks and, and all this guy. You know, it, and, and the word doesn't tell me this, but it just makes me think, right, that Zacchaeus had kind of lived this life compensating with this, with, you know, through what he does in his life, his decision, maybe even his decision to be a tax collector, him climbing the, rate, the ranks and becoming the chief, accumulating all this wealth that he's responding to. And I, again, this is just my, this is my presupposition. I'm just kind of guessing here. Zacchaeus had felt rejection before, and there was something that drew him. When Jesus was coming through, he wanted to go and see him. Wanted to go and see him so much so, you know, the fact that he runs up ahead and climbs a tree, these are things that are extremely, uh, I mean, in the Jewish culture, men didn't run. If men ran, then their flowing robes would expose their legs. And it was extremely, um, it's extremely distasteful for his legs to be shown. A Jewish man would never be seen climbing a tree. That's something that a, that a slave should do. So literally Zacchaeus, because in his desire to go and see Jesus, he runs up ahead, climbs up in a sycamore tree. And Jesus, as he comes to him, sees him there and says, Zacchaeus, hurry up, get down from there. I've got to come spend time with you tonight. Well, people get mad. They start to grumble and they're like, hey, wait, you're going to, that's the chief tax collector. You're telling me tonight you're going to go and hang out with that, with that sinner? That's exactly what Jesus has done. I mean, uh, Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we have this beautiful picture, this beautiful picture in this story of what we call Justification. See, in Romans 4, Paul lays out this this beautiful example of how we are justified. What does justified mean? It means we are counted righteous. That not by anything that we have accomplished, but because Jesus was perfect and he was righteous, his righteousness is credited to me. That's why Romans 5.1 says, being justified by faith in Christ Jesus, we are at Peace with God. And this is a crucial thing for us to understand because literally it's the foundation that we walk from as we we do this Christian life. I have been accepted by God. Not through anything that that I've done. Not through, I mean, we see that in the parable. In the parable in Luke 18, when Jesus talks about the tax collector and the Pharisee. Right, the Pharisee shows up to the temple and pray, and he prays about all this awesome stuff that he's accomplished. He's like, you know, dear Lord God, thank you that I'm able to tithe and I'm able to bring my offerings, and I'm not like this filthy tax collector who's here, and I'm not like these who are. I'm just so much better, and he just sits there and exalts himself. Whereas the tax collector who had come to the temple to pray did nothing but beat his chest and said, Lord God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. 
And the overriding truth there that as Jesus closes out this parable, he says, when you exalt yourself, you will, those who seek to exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. This man, this tax collector who just recognized the glory of God and, the, and that he was a sinner, who just did nothing but ask for mercy, he goes home justified. Exact same word in Luke 18 that we see in Romans 5.1. Declared righteous. I mean, we've talked about this. We've said that, that when Jesus looks down on me, he doesn't see my past and what I've done. He sees the righteousness of Christ. I think, I think conceptually, as I talk about this, it, it's easy for us to understand. It's easy for us to grab a hold of. Okay? But practically, so many times we get exposed in not living with this truth. So we understand justification. I think, you know, nobody was surprised when I came in here and said, you are justified in Christ. We've talked about it a lot, that it's his righteousness, that I can't accomplish it, right? That if I'm scared, if I'm scared of being rejected by God, one of the ways I defend myself is I go get real, real busy about doing what I think God wants me to do, right? And then I get very, very frustrated when I can't pull it off. I get so frustrated that I want to do this for God so that God will accept me. And that's not the truth. The truth is before I even step into trying to be a Christian, God says, I count you as righteous. There's nothing you can go out and do to make me feel more love or favor for you. Jesus has already done, lived the life of perfection, and that's how I see you. But we get exposed in this, wrong, in this wrong thinking. One of the ways I think we get exposed is when life gets hard. Because over and over and over again, we see people, when they go through a difficult circumstance, they start asking this question, I don't know, I, don't know. I mean, God's upset with me, I've done something wrong. God's mad at me, and that's why I have to, you know, I need to, I got to figure out what I'm doing that's making God mad. I've got to figure, you know, I, I need to go and, go and make, make that right. That flies in the face of what we, I mean, that, that totally disregards Romans 4. Now, it's interesting because, because justification is not some, some place that I get to in my walk. It's what's given to me at my moment of salvation. I surrender to Jesus Christ and I give him everything that I am and I am justified through him. I am declared righteous. It's that interesting place where God credits me with righteousness but does not give me the uh, wherewithal to necessarily be it all the time. He didn't poof me and say, you're righteous. He didn't sprinkle the little righteousness dust on me and be like, now you're going to make every right decision from the, hence, henceforth, thou hast been dusted. <laughs> now that time is coming. The word tells us that I am promised. I'm promised this glorification where Jesus comes back for his bride. When we go up and we meet him in the air, we get a new body and we are made just like him. That is coming. That's not, that's not a lie. But here I am in between justification, being counted as righteous, being declared clean, accepted by God, but before glorification. And it's a difficult place to navigate. 
It's hard. Don't, don't think, you know, when I say that, oh, well, we, 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 we misunderstand. We don't practically understand this doctrine. I understand that that's hard. That's why in John 15, Jesus says, I'm sending my spirit to help, to help you through this. So many times we look at it, we, we, we get exposed in what we, can I, let me ask you this question. This time, okay, Bible's very clear. I am justified in, th- through faith by Jesus Christ, and therefore I have peace with God. Laid out very, very clearly in, in this, in this, laid out in, in Romans 4, right? This, 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 this uh, narrative of what we see here is really just, I'm, this, just a depiction to me of what, of what the doctrine is, Right? But I'm not, I'm being progressively sanctified, being made like God. So what's the point of this place in between? What are we striving, what are we, why? Why this space, right? It makes more sense to me. God, if you're going to declare me righteous, let's just save us all a whole lot of, you know, trouble and just go ahead and glorify us and say, right, then I won't ever mess up. God, it would be a lot easier for me <laughs> if you. So many times we're motivated in these times that are hard in our life. In these times when we start asking questions like, is God upset with me? Is God mad at me? Have I done something to make him mad? What gets exposed is our, 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 our wrong, twisted thought that this time in between, that this time from, from justification to glorification is about me being happy. So many times we lift up prayers of desperation to God, birthed out of, I'm not happy. For honest, it's an extremely immature place to come from. Happiness is not the primary goal. My happiness is a selfish endeavor on my part doesn't reflect the character of God, and it does not respond to the gift of justification that's been given to me. Right? I pose a question. What is, what is the purpose between this time when I'm justified and this awesome glorification that is coming? What is the purpose? Could it be that I get to respond? Listen, if God says, I declare you righteous, and poof, now you are, I never get to respond to the gift that's there. What does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus, Jesus sees him. I'm assuming he realized, man, this guy really wants to see me. Look at what he's going through. Almost to the point of embarrassing himself. I mean, I don't know. that's, That's Mike Monroe. That's Mike Monroe thinking out loud, okay? But whatever reason, Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he says, Get down from there. Come over here. I'm going to go and be with you. He accepted him right there. And how did Zacchaeus respond? Everybody gets mad. They're ticked off at Jesus because he's going to go hang out with this sinner. But that's, Jesus doesn't care. That's not why he came. He came to seek and save those who were lost. And Zacchaeus goes, I'm going to go and take half of everything I have and give it to the poor. And then anybody who I've wronged, I'm going to go repay that, and I'm going to add, I'm going to do it fourfold. That means four times, whatever I took from them. If I took 10 from them, I'm going to give them 40. If I took 100 from them, I'm going to give them 400. This is extremely interesting because if we look at what the Jewish law was at the time, Jews were required to take 20% 
of what they made and give to the poor. Jews who were caught as a thief stealing from somebody were required by the law to to give back what they had stolen with 20% interest. Zacchaeus' response to this uh, this acceptance of Jesus was to do way more than what was required of him. He got to show appreciation for this acceptance. No matter what the crowd thought, no matter who was going to get angry, no matter whether or not people could see his legs or he had just climbed a tree, no matter what his occupation was and what society thought about what he did, he goes, I'm going to go this. Listen, Jesus said he was going to go and stay with Zacchaeus well before Zacchaeus makes this this proclamation of what he's going to do with his money. This was a response. In John 15, as Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says this. He goes, if you love me, keep my commands. What does this mean? This means that the word love and obedience are interchangeable. That means so many of us run around being stressed out and frustrated thinking that we have an obedience problem when the honest truth of the matter is I can say I have a love problem. It's not that God is mad at me because of what I've done. I am justified. It's not my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness that has been placed on me. I'm credited as clean by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the question is, what are you going to do about it now? I think we struggle with, the, with, with this idea because we don't want to be the receiver of charity. It is so much easier on my psyche not to be justified. I want to earn. I want to make my own way. You say that people can't live that perfect life, God. Let me go and give it a try. Let me show you what I can do. It's a fool's errand. Those who seek to exalt themselves will be humbled. And we could go around this room, I guarantee you we could go around this room and listen to testimony after testimony of people who said, I wanted to go out and try and do this, and I found out I was incapable of doing it. Yet when they humble themselves and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then we experience the fullness of this justification. What fuels repentance, right? I mean, this is sanctification, meaning meaning I am progressively becoming more like God, right? I mean, the end of uh, Romans, I know, Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews said in 13 that the point of this Christian life is to worship God in every situation and to serve other people. Paul, over and over, all throughout the Pauline epistles, he talks about spurring us on to maturity, what are we maturing in? Are we maturing in this ability to earn God's favor? Or are we maturing in this ability to display love for what God has done? That's what Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus stepped out not going, oh, if you're going to come have dinner with me, then I better go and do this. Zacchaeus said, you're, you're willing to come and be with me? This is how I'm going to go live my life. It's not an obligation, not what he had to do. It's what he wanted to do. Listen, people, people, 
people struggle so much with, with justification because the, the immature thought, the immature thought is this, that justification minimizes my disobedience. I mean, who cares what I do? I'm, I'm declared righteous. I mean, right? I mean, I mean, glorification is coming. So, you know, I guess some people are going to do a little bit better in this space than, than others are or whatever. But in the long run, it doesn't matter. We all end up in the same place. And that's such an immature thought. Because if obedience and love are interchangeable words, then the scary thing is that I would callous myself to a place to where God would give me this amazing gift. That God would say, we were separated. I am holy and I am righteous and you were fallen. But I sent my son to bring us back into relationship. That I have to, I can't exist where sin is. And in man, there is sin, but Jesus Christ overcame that sin. And the the, the thought that what causes me to repent is not that I can get back into the good graces of God, is that I can get back to showing God that what he did matters. That what happened on the cross deserves a response from me. It demands a response from me. When we have times during worship, we have times of, of, of spontaneous praise. And I, I love those times. And I know certain people, they don't know what to do in those times. They're like, there's no words on the screen. And I don't think what Nick just said rhymes. And, and everything's supposed to rhyme when you sing. But I've noticed in, 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 in various, not all the time, but in various times as we have the, spontan, the spontaneous times of worship, Nick will just cry out and sing, this love deserves a response. We've stood on this stage and talked about if you're struggling, if you're caught, whatever the addiction, whatever sin, we said, violently repent. Can I tell you something? If you attempt to violently repent so that you can earn something from God, you won't get there. But if you violently repent because of what God has already done and you say, I'm not going to take advantage of it. I'm not going to mock. Listen, I, I, don't let me oversimplify it. I understand it's hard. I understand this is not, listen, you're not going to walk out of here and I'm glad Mike cleared it up. Everything's going to be easy now. <laughs> no. But I am motivated by this justification. When I wake up tomorrow morning, no matter, I, I, I can go indulge myself in some horrific addiction tonight. I wake up tomorrow morning understanding this. I am justified. I am counted as righteous. So the false response is the fuel. I'm glad last night didn't count. But what really happens is that justification, that gift that spurs me on to say, I'm not going to stay this way. I'm going to res I'm going to respond with obedience, which is just the same word as love for God. And that's what maturity is. If, 
excuse me, if, the, if, if at the end of Hebrews we're told, worship God in every situation and serve others, that this, this point of what we're doing here is I'm trying to mature in that so, that so that when my kids are making wrong decisions, I handle that in a way that honors God. And when I'm in the car accident and it's not my fault and I get out of my car to start talking to the, to the people who are part of the accident, I glorify and I honor God. That when I walk into a room and I see that there's a need, my heart is quickened and I say, I have the ability to meet that need and I'm going to do it not so that people will realize that I've done it. I'm going to do it to the glory and honor of God. That that's what motivates my life. And as I become mature, uh, Larry Crabb says that maturity is this. It is choosing obedience in the short term and long-term character change. That is Christian. And as I start stacking these moments of obedience, it's deciding to do what God has called me to do, the attempt to glorify God in every situation. And I start stacking these, these displays of love. I'm changed as a person to be more like him. I mature to a place that honors him, not because of what I've accomplished, but because I was justified and his righteousness was, is credited as my righteousness because I'm declared acceptable because of what Jesus Christ is and that motivates everything that I do in my life. Still times when I need to pray and I'm beating, beating my chest and say, Lord God, have mercy on me. There are still times when I'm gonna be faced with the decision to do what God's called me to do or to do what I wanna do and in a moment of weakness, I do what I wanna do. And when in those times, I violently repent because I can't be callous to what's been given to me. I can't take advantage of it. And what blows my mind is that as much as I've celebrated the the sin of my past that God has forgiven me, that the blood of Christ is covered, that in that moment I can realize that that same blood covered that weak moment that I just had. Where before when I was ignorant and blinded to to God and and to, 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 to my own selfishness and my own schemes, that here I was actually trying to live for him and to still mess up and his blood still covers me. I can't not respond to that. No greater love has a man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. And a love that great that cost God that much can only be met with everything that I have of my life. Nothing held back, nothing, nothing held in reserve, no, no plan B, no fine print. But God, if you have declared me clean, then I give you everything I am. And I pray, Father God, that you would continue to mold me into your character, that your spirit inside me continue to be able to give me the wherewithal to choose your way in the moment. And in doing so, I can see myself reflecting in you until you come back and make me just like him. 